Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Feel better? Look at how red your lips are now. Can we have lots of kisses? Oh, oh my god! Can you tell mama I love you? Mama, good job. I'm so happy to see you feeling better. I needed that. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor here at the Times. Today, we're going to continue to discuss Lincoln's Shot, our eight-part serial narrative. You can read the entire series at tampabay.com slash Shot. But here, on the podcast, we're walking through the chapters one by one. And it starts with a reading from Lane. This is Chapter 8, the final installment. Today's topic, The Answer. By summer's end, their world had shrunk. They'd stopped going out, even for food. Uber Eats brought meals to their Tampa home. Publix delivered groceries. Maggie Hold German and her husband, Anthony DeLuna, told friends not to come over. They might bring germs. Only nurses and therapists were allowed. Maggie and Anthony couldn't take any chances. Any minute, a doctor might call, and their terminally ill son, Lincoln, would have to be as healthy as possible so he could get his shot at a cure. I sent UF another email, Maggie told Anthony one Tuesday. I call, beg, rant, cry, pray. I don't know what else to do. They'd taken a break from working in their home offices and were eating Chick-fil-A on the couch. Though it was well past noon, neither had showered. Anthony was wearing pajama pants. Maggie had pulled her hair into a tangled ponytail. She hadn't put on makeup in a month. What was the point? For more than four years, ever since their son had been born with X-linked myotubular myopathy, they had been waiting. They'd never questioned the quality of Lincoln's life, whether it was worth his discomfort tying him to machines to keep him alive, because the cure was coming. This existence, all his limitations, would be temporary. But now, instead of looking ahead, they started looking back, regretting all they had postponed, never even trying to take Lincoln to the zoo or Disney World or a movie. We saw the finish line, Anthony said, but they kept moving it. A year had passed since the first boy got gene therapy. Lincoln had been scheduled to get treatment on three different dates, but the University of Florida, his site for the clinical trial, had been battling with the drug manufacturing company over safety protocols. Until they changed, doctors there wouldn't treat any more boys. I'm so sick of this, Anthony said. We've driven up to Gainesville so many times. We've put him through all their paces. He's been poked, prodded, and tested. They even took a chunk of muscle out of his leg. For what? Will this all really be worth it? They'd been anxious about the toll the trial would take on Lincoln. They'd never worried about what the weight would do to them. They were gaining weight, losing hope. Maggie refused to go to a bachelorette party for one of her best friends. She couldn't face all those happy people couldn't fake caring about the engagement ring. It's like bandwidth. 
You only have so much, Anthony told her. There's nothing left. Just getting through each day drains all your reserve. Maggie started calling her therapist every week. Anthony was staying up all night playing The Witcher 3, a video game where he got to be a hero. Every year Lincoln lives, I feel like I lose another three off my life, Anthony told Maggie. A new nurse had recently asked how old Anthony was and guessed mid-40s. He was 28. We need an ambulance. He's not going to make it, Maggie screamed from the driver's seat. She pulled into a Costco parking lot and dialed 911. Anthony was behind her on the floor of their van, trying to get Lincoln to breathe. That morning, at the end of August, a nurse had changed his feeding bag and somehow liquid had gotten into his lungs. He was gasping. Help him, Maggie sobbed. He was so fine last night, playing with his puppets. Paramedics eventually stabilized Lincoln enough to transport him to St. Joseph's Children's Hospital. There, doctors discovered that his heart rate was dropping. His organs were shutting down. They whisked him into surgery, gave him oxygen and a blood transfusion, threaded thin tubes between his ribs. Once they drained his lungs, they discovered that the tissue already was hardening, dying, and they found widespread infection, staph, and MRSA. For nine days, Lincoln was unconscious. Maggie and Anthony sat beside him, surrounded by silver balloons and beeping alarms. How you feeling, Bubba? Did you get some rest? Anthony asked on a morning in September, after Lincoln had awoken. His face was still ashen. He was too weak to sign. Don't worry, Anthony said. We'll get it all fixed. He uncurled Lincoln's right hand and put his finger on his son's palm. Maggie bent over his bed, asking, Can you give your mama a kiss? Lincoln couldn't. When they finally got to bring him home, 19 days later, after they settled him into clean sheets, plugged in all his machines, checked the monitors, sucked into his mouth and nose, squeezed drops into his eyes, and found his favorite puppet, Mr. Owl, Maggie ducked into the kitchen and called UF. She kept thinking that if Lincoln had gotten his shot, he probably wouldn't almost have died. Again. Lincoln was scared this time, Anthony said. He'd never seen him like that. That was the worst part, he said. Days later, Dr. Barbara Smith returned Maggie's call. UF was still battling the drug company, Audentis. Other hospitals were going to dose more boys, Smith told Maggie, so she put in a request to transfer Lincoln to another site. I told her that if I needed to get Lincoln to Timbuktu, I'd swim him there tomorrow, Maggie said. And she said I should email them, too, put in some pictures, tell them how great Lincoln is. So now I have to make a case for my son? Before a dentist would agree to treat Lincoln at another location, the doctor told Maggie, scientists there wanted to see the hospital records from when his liver was bleeding. Are they just trying to find a reason to disqualify him? Maggie asked Anthony. It took hours for her to write the email. How do you convince the company that holds the cure that your son is worth saving? She laid out his history with the trial, all that he'd been through. She attached videos of Lincoln moving his feet slightly, which she called running. He's brilliant and recently was evaluated for preschool and was testing at a seven-year-old level when he's only four and a half years old. He's self-motivated and speaks fluent American Sign Language. He also knows bits of French, Hebrew, Spanish, and Arabic. He understands unequivocally that he's been participating in these trials to get an experimental drug that may make him stronger. I would like our dentist to consider transferring him as soon as possible, Maggie typed in bold, and bumping his name to the top of the list. As she hit send, she prayed, Please, God, don't abandon us. Of the 16 boys who were part of the initial research, Maggie knew only two had been treated. 
Three others had died. Some of the moms thought the company was choosing babies because they showed better results. One was even meeting milestones for his age, as if the disease had been completely reversed. Of course, there were other MTM boys out there who were too old or too sick to qualify for the clinical trial, and plenty who weren't chosen or whose families didn't know about it. And Maggie couldn't help feeling that her son had been cheated. She couldn't sleep, wouldn't eat, lost 11 pounds. She couldn't concentrate on her job as a social worker, couldn't help other people with their problems. Neither UF nor Adentes had provided a social worker to see families through the clinical trial. Maggie's therapist diagnosed her with post-traumatic stress disorder and told her to take a medical leave from work. I'm becoming radicalized, Maggie told her therapist. I can see how, when people are oppressed, mistreated, and allied to, they do things they never would have considered before. I'm not above showing up in San Francisco in person, making them come through on their promise. I'd do anything for my child. He's worth dying for. When she got really upset, which was happening more often, Maggie crept into her room and closed the door. But Lincoln saw her tears, felt her sorrow. He signed funny stories about his stuffed monkey trying to make her laugh, stuck a piece of tape on her shirt, and blew kisses. Weeks dragged on. On a Friday afternoon in late September, Maggie called Al Dentis. Again, though the company hadn't yet gotten Lincoln's medical records, a woman told Maggie that because of the liver bleed in February, it looked like he would not be a good candidate. How dare you, Maggie yelled. My son deserves a shot. If he didn't get to be in the clinical trial, he'd have to wait until the Food and Drug Administration approved the product for market, which could take years. I never thought it would end like this, Maggie sobbed to Anthony. She poured Coke Zero into a red Solo cup, added two shots of vodka, and swallowed a Valium. He called Barry Byrne, the doctor at UF who'd pioneered treatments for muscular disorders. A nurse was watching Lincoln, so they retreated to their room and shut the door. He said there's another company, another drug he feels good about that will be safer and more effective, Anthony told Maggie. He sounded really hopeful. But how close is that? What if we don't have a few more years with Lincoln? Maggie reminded him of all that had happened in the last year. Anthony tried to reassure her. If UF could get them into another clinical trial with another company sometime down the road, he said, they should just do that. I think we should disenroll from this trial, he said, and trust UF to make it right. What if this new treatment won't accept older kids, Maggie cried. She argued on waiting for a dentist to see if it would give Lincoln a dose. Look at the outcome. There are boys off ventilators. I'm not dumb, shouted Anthony who really raised his voice. I get the outcomes, but how much can we trust this company? He talked about lodging a complaint, calling in the FDA, hiring a lawyer. Maggie looked at him baffled. I don't need to trust Audentes, she said softly. I just need their product, just 10 milliliters. Anthony threw a pillow on the ground, got up and slammed the door behind him. A few minutes later, he came back. Can I tell you something, he said. I need to tell you something, and I need you to listen to me. Her eyes widened. He said, I love you. She started to cry. He pointed to the living room. Your super cutie is staring at you. In Lincoln's little mirror, they saw him see them and smile. In October, it was official. UF was out of the trial. A dentist said it would try to transfer the two remaining boys to other sites. Byrne, who'd known Lincoln most of his life, who'd hoped to dose him in Gainesville, had emailed a colleague at the University of California, Los Angeles. The doctor agreed to consider including Lincoln at his test site, but he wanted Lincoln to have an MRI first so he could get a better look at his liver. 
If the liver was okay, they could bring him to California, and Adentes would pay for a medical RV to carry them across the country. Okay, son, so here's what they're going to do. They're going to take some pictures here and do some lab work, Anthony told Lincoln. Nothing's wrong. Don't be worried. Let's do this. He wheeled his son across the lobby at St. Joseph's Children's Hospital, a nurse trailing behind. Maggie had stayed home that day at the end of October. She was trying to go back to work, so Anthony took Lincoln for his MRI. After they settled into a hospital room, while they waited for the doctor, Anthony started spinning versions of the trip he hoped they soon would take. What did I tell you about California, he asked. What are we going to see? His son signed, trees. That's right, the tall trees, said Anthony. And what are you going to get? Lincoln flattened his arms to his side and stretched his pointer fingers toward the ceiling. That's right, Anthony said. Piggy power. While respiratory therapists came in to check on Lincoln's breathing, Anthony pulled out his phone and Googled UCL, UCLA Medical Center. It's a 36-hour drive straight across I-10, he told Lincoln. A total of 2,157 miles. Lincoln had never been farther than Gainesville. After the therapist left, Anthony showed Lincoln the map. We could go through Albuquerque, go see the Grand Canyon, he said. This will be such an adventure. So far, seven boys have been treated, a dentist CEO said in November. They range from nine months to four years old. Four boys got the low dose. The three most recent got a medium dose. We continue to see exciting progress, Matt Patterson announced during an investor's update. Some boys are able to be off ventilators for hours. Three are breathing totally on their own. The results, he said, have been better and faster than expected, and we sure hope they continue to improve. His company, he said, spent $120 million in 2018. It had given gene therapy to boys in Los Angeles, Chicago, Bethesda, Maryland, Gainesville, and Toronto. More trial suits would be opening in London, Paris, and Munich. In the next few months, Patterson said he and his scientists would be meeting with the FDA, discussing how to bring the serum to market. He was optimistic. The FDA recently had approved a gene therapy treatment for leukemia, the first in nearly two decades. Our plan, he said, is to treat three more boys. Maggie looked at Anthony wide-eyed. Does that mean there are only a few spots left in the study? He took off his glasses and hung his head. That means this is our last shot. The call came November 13th. Maggie put her phone on speaker so Anthony could listen. They crouched together in the kitchen where they hoped Lincoln couldn't hear. The UCLA doctor told him he'd brought in experts to evaluate Lincoln's liver scan. Unfortunately, everyone had agreed. It looks like he has paleosis, a rare disease that causes lesions to overcome the liver, filling with fluid and blood. It can be caused by a reaction to a variety of medications or triggered by chronic wasting diseases. Lincoln's liver seemed too fragile to withstand the gene therapy. Take a chance on him, Maggie begged. Please. After waiting Lincoln's whole life for a cure, begging on his rebirth, their hope was snatched away in a five-minute conversation with a doctor they'd never met. He delivered, in a clinical fashion, what they saw as a death sentence. Maggie was so flustered she didn't even ask her usual flood of follow-up questions or demand the experts' reports. She fell into Anthony's arms. He held her and tried to hold himself together. Maggie called her sister Katie and choked out the news. Would Katie please call the rest of the family? Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Maggie couldn't bear to keep talking about it. She thought about Jamie, the boy from Melbourne who'd gotten the third shot. He was holding up his head now, scooting across the floor, laughing, eating, even saying mama. Science had gotten there in just 20 years. With the help of a desperate mom in Florida, a Boston researcher growing skin, a dog from a farm in Canada, a scientist cloning genes in Seattle, and a former venture capitalist creating a California company to cure ultra-rare diseases, the miracle had happened, just not for Lincoln. I don't think God gave what gave Jamie what was destined for Lincoln, Anthony said. I'm glad he got that shot. It saved his life. Without that therapy, Jamie would have died. The rabbi, he reminded Maggie, said we're all cells in God's body, all connected, part of the sum. Lincoln didn't get his shot. Maybe, Anthony said, it was for the greater good. He wasn't sure he really believed that, but it made him feel better to say it out loud. Maggie sobbed and tried to rally. She wanted to be grateful, not bitter. We just have to enjoy him as it is while he's here, Maggie said. He wasn't even promised to us for a day, and he's about to turn five. That night, they played with the paper turkey Lincoln had made with his pre-K teacher. He showed them he'd learned to add four plus five. He even surprised them by picking up a magic marker with his right hand, lifting it slightly to a whiteboard, and, in shaky letters writing his name. Look at him, Maggie said. He's perfect. They hovered over his bed, singing a good night song until he fell asleep. Then, while Anthony sat watch, Maggie ducked into her office and clicked on her computer. Hey, she called a few minutes later. Come see this. A French company called Dynacure had just announced a new clinical trial of a different treatment. Officials hoped to start enrolling patients in a year or two. Maybe they just had to hang on a little longer. Maggie said to Anthony, I'm going to email them tomorrow. So that ending. Um, obviously, we set out on this story, and the hope um, back when you first got with this couple was that we'd end the story when he gets the shot. And then we'd get to watch the miracle unfold and... You know, we'd come back later and tell people, we'd tell readers what happened. And um, so last, in 2017, he's going to get the shot. Then beginning of 2018, he's going to get the shot. And then he's going to get the shot. And then he's not going to get the shot. And it just starts dragging on and on. And this ending, we were like, holy shit, where do we end this story? Because we've taken you through this really long story and how do we end it in a way that feels um, natural and also doesn't make the reader feel cheated for having gone through all of this. So um, it was tough. Yeah, that was that was my worry that readers are going to be like, dude, I spent eight parts and you never got the shot. Like, I mean, it was heartbreaking for, for them especially. But then, yeah, as a writer, what do you do with that? 
we had um, we had a number of conversations about this. Obviously, we like before the MRI, we thought it was over, and then the MRI came up, and the possibility arose. We thought we were going to California for a minute. And then for like, a minute there, cool we thought be? we were going to California, and we would follow them through, and maybe he'd get it after all. But um, and then when it didn't happen, um, I remember we had a conversation. So it was Lane and uh, John Pennegraff and and me, and we're sitting in my office and we're like, what the hell do we do now? And, uh, you know, we talked about, do we, you know, his birthday was coming up. He was going to turn five, you know, do we do a birthday ending? And then that felt so cheesy and so wrong. And, um, you know, luckily you guys were there actually as it all fell apart and you had this scene, which was so very them. I mean, like I, I, I remember, John saying that this couple, they're like, they're the the kind of people, they're not down for the 10 count, they're down for the two count, and then they're up, and then they're back at it again. They're like, they wouldn't have made it this far if they hadn't been the kind of people who were resilient, and they just, you know, the worst news they could possibly get, and then they're still going to rally. Well, and the the way they held each other up was just remarkable too. You know, you, you, we would watch Maggie collapse, and then Anthony scoop her up, and then Anthony loses his cool, and then Maggie just kind of sits there and calmly like talks him through it. It was like that. Their relationship was really special. Um, I do. I think it's a brilliant ending, and I think that Lane did a terrific job of sort of. I mean, it really feels like them. You know, yeah. After you've gotten to know these people. And I, this is the question I always ask people when they tell me they like the series. I like, what did you think of the ending? <laughs> so I always like, did you feel like you got cheated, or did you feel like it was worth the journey? And um, so far, so good. I mean, at least <laughs> the people who I'm talking to. I don't know about the rest of you. Um, well, it also felt like it felt so deja vu. It felt like we were hearkening right back to that right time back in the, to the beginning, where they're like, right hey, look at this video. Beginning. Here's my yeah. hope, and you know, that's the that's the brilliant thing about it too. I think it's it's so circular. It's like. And once again, they're going to try to keep him alive long enough to get him the cure, you know, which is... Back at square one. But exactly. here's something else to hang that hope on, you yeah. know. Um, we, this was, this last part of the journey was really difficult, as you could tell from listening to the story. But, um, you know, we, this couple fell apart. I mean, they, and they fell apart in front of us, especially Maggie. And we were worried. I mean... There was a time there we were not sure she wasn't going to get on a plane and go to San Francisco and do something that would make news. She had a nefarious plan. Yes. And, uh, uh, you know, I don't know if any of you all have had to deal with something like that, but it was um, it was the first time for me where I really felt like the subject of a story might take some action that would be um, – you know, uh, it would just change the whole dynamic of everything. But they really fell into a hole. Well, yeah, what is our responsibility as journalists? You know, I remember going back with John with some very pointed questions like, who are you talking to? Are you talking yeah. to your therapist? Are you talking to your rabbi? Are you talking to your sister? Do your parents know where you're at? You know, like, we never set out to be their therapist. But a lot of those four or five, six hour nights that we spent with them, you know, it kind of became, they opened everything up to us. and or, or They didn't forget we were there. They just didn't care. You know, they just kind of let, it, let everything play out in front of us. And uh, we'd never seen them fight before that fight that we captured. We happened to be there for the worst news possible. Like, we just happened to be there that night when they got this, the news. So that felt like a gift, but also some kind of a responsibility. 
Have you have you had situations like that where you felt like people? I mean, you you people clearly open up to you, and you must feel like a therapist sometimes. I feel like that a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I used to be really worried about it. Now I kind of embrace it. You know, but but I don't want to be the one to not alert somebody if something bad's going to happen. So, you know, knowing that at least their family and their therapist and their rabbi were part of it. Like that's, it's not my job, but, but I'm grateful that they let me in. That was our comfort level too. Is like, yeah, who are you talking to besides us? Like who, who's, who knows what you're going through and, and um, you know, can we make sure that they're talking to other people? And so, because really, I mean, it was, we were, we were scared there for a while. It was pretty bad. Um, and talk a little bit about, I mean, you, you just got teary eyed reading this, um, what this has been like for you and John, because I know that it was, it, this year has been hard. This last year was hard. Yeah, I feel like, you know, I never feel like I'm worthy of my stories. I always feel like it's 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 bigger and, and more important than what I'm able to, to give to it. So there's this giant responsibility to, to get it right and to honor them and, and their truth and, and their journey. I mean, you know, you're supposed to be objective. It's really impossible to become objective in a situation like this and not fall in love with this little guy and his, his amazing, amazing parents. So I think I felt more invested in them and him personally than I do in a lot of my stories. Um, and, you know, just the process, three years of putting together something that didn't end like we thought it was going to end, that didn't really end at all, you know, like it, it was... Um, it was incredibly intimidating to I know I kept wanting to report and you were like, you need to go start writing. <laughs> Even Maggie I, told her that. I know Maggie was giving me a hard time. Like, Maggie's like, don't don't you have to start writing at some point? you going to write this story? Don't they pay you to write? <laughs> and I, you know, I've been living it for three years, but um, I guess just for, for project listeners out there, well, we started writing in late August, I think. Mm-hmm. So August, September, October, November maybe three about three months in terms of writing and editing really writing we were, yeah, yeah organizing writing and editing so three months to three years I guess that's a pretty good ratio there but um yeah it, I I don't I don't ever remember feeling like I, I would wake up in the morning and log on Maggie's Facebook before I went to bed at night I would log on Maggie's Facebook she would do a Facebook live almost every night I mean I felt like I was living with them really like embedded in their lives more than I'd been with anybody else and and just John and I are both parents, you know, so you have this other connection of what if it was my child, you know, right. and just feeling so grateful. So, so, so grateful for everything, you know, blessings that, that you don't even think of ours blessings until you spend uh, three years in their lives. Um, I just want to shout out to you again to just how remarkable this couple is. Not just they are personally remarkable, but the fact that they would invite us along and we're going to be trying to set up a podcast with the two of them. So if all goes well, that'll be the next episode of Right Lane. And they'll talk a little bit about, you know, agreeing to do this, actually inviting themselves, inviting you into this story, um, but what it was like for them to be the subjects of, of this story. But um, they really, I mean, the fact that they were uh, not only willing to share their story, but willing to just sort of bring down that wall on everything. I mean, they just, um, I mean, the, the argument that they played out in front of you guys, that both of you guys came back and you were like, wow, like, <laughs> like damn. Um, you know, Are we supposed to see that? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think they were, they're just people who appreciate um, 
the truth, I guess, and it's just keeping it real, you know? Well, and they also, I mean, I can't say enough about this. Like, having your subjects buy-in is so huge. You know, having sub I mean, I remember talking to Walt Harrington years and years ago, and he would, and he's a, a journalist, he used to work for the Washington Post, and uh taught at the University of Illinois. Um, but he, he would interview, like, you know, 10 different families to be the subject for one story. And whoever gave him the best buy-in, you know, that right. was usually – I don't have time to do that. I don't know anybody out there anymore in the newspaper world who has time to do that. But having a, a buy-in from the beginning, to me, makes a difference between not only are you going to do the story, but how big of a story are you going to do? How deep are you going to dive? And not just letting you in, but then becoming an advocate. You know, they got us into the pediatric intensive care unit. They right. argued us to come in with them in this place that journalists are never allowed. Out. They convinced the doctors and people to talk to us. They got their family who didn't, you know, who hadn't talked to Maggie in years was, we were there when her mother met Lincoln for the first time, you know, so they they didn't just let us in. They advocated for us in a huge way. And, and that is something that this remarkable. I mean, that's why this project was able to be as deep and intimate as it was. And that the point you just made, I mean, they they knew the moments that were coming up that were vital for you to be there, like the, the, the tension with their mom and meeting Lincoln for the first time and, and keeping you guys up to date right. with all Going to every see the twist rabbi. and turn. Like, yeah, like, you know, this is happening and this other thing is happening. They were basically from the beginning like, we have an extra broom. You can stay here whenever you want. You know, it was literally that, that generous, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I will say as a sort of a, a note to editors um, – I went. I've met this family. I went, uh, gone over there a couple of times uh, to spend some time. Uh, obviously, when you're invested on such a long project, um, it's important. I think a lot of times, even when it's a shorter story, it's good for an editor to get out there and see and meet these people. It helped me to edit this story to have met them, and to have met Lincoln, and to know kind of the kind of people they are, and then I could really kind of see how Lane was capturing them. Uh, and you can just, you know, it just it just informs your editing as well. So um, they've actually now met quite a number of people from the staff. <laughs> they're they're very nice people. They'll let us in. No, I was really grateful you were willing to come with me too. Because I mean, it's one thing to show you pictures and to tell you about what happened, but for you to be in their presence and especially in his world, I think that was invaluable. Well, in the way you would describe them to me, and then you meet them, and they are. They're just like, they're this perfect little cast of characters because they she's she's very um, exuberant and vibrant, and, and, and he's more of an egghead, and, you know, but really smart and thoughtful about what he's thinking about, and they're a really great pair. I mean, you can't not like them as characters in a story. You can't, like, not like them as people, and and watching them parent too, it's just so it's so heartwarming how, how much um, everything is about little Lincoln all the time. So again, we don't want to let him go. So we're gonna um, we're gonna go on the road and we're gonna go to uh, their house uh, and uh, we're gonna Facebook Live with the family, but we're also gonna do a podcast, as I said, and talking about that. So if all goes well, it'll be the episode after this one. So if you have uh, questions about the series, about anything involving Lincoln, uh, please email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. And join us next week where you hopefully will get to hear from Maggie and Anthony themselves. This podcast was produced by Monica Herndon. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening. Thank you. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.